Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. This is episode number 52, Advice for Self-Filming Your Whitetail Hunts. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the Filming with Josh podcast, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the channel and also want to encourage you to hop onto Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the Filming with Josh Facebook group. Filming with Josh Facebook group is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. And there we talk about all things video and photography, whether it's editing, whether it's writing contracts, whether it's how to price your work, new equipment that's coming out, tips for storyboarding, we cover it all. And it's a great community and a great group of people. So come on over, join our group, um, be prepared to ask questions or answer questions or just participate in conversation about all things video and photography. It is December 2nd on the date of recording this podcast, and I have not done a podcast in the last few weeks, but I have the best excuse in the world, which is I have a newborn son. So (laughs) with uh, Little Wilder um, being in our lives, sleep has been not, not... a common thing. <laughs> I've been getting some sleep and then not getting sleep. It's just very sporadic, but uh, he's cute as a button and we love having him. Um, he just, uh, it's not that he like cries or anything at night. He just feeds and needs a diaper change like every two hours. So as soon as you like get into like a nice deep sleep, you are wait. It's like the next thing you know, you're waking back up, <laughs> but I wouldn't change it for anything. We love having them around. Um, so I've been off the podcast for a little bit cause I've been helping my wife, uh, take care of Wilder and like kind of get a routine down. And, and then on top of that, I also have been deer hunting a lot and that probably sounds crazy. Like who, who has a kid, a newborn, their first newborn, nonetheless, and then is deer hunting a lot. And uh, that's me. It's me. So I <laughs> I wanted to talk about that on today's podcast. And that's kind of what um, led me to want to do today's episode because I want to talk about some self-filming techniques um, because I am semi-filming. I'll put it to you that way. And I'll, I'll get into some details about that today. Uh, but today's podcast is just going to talk about um, some different things or different advice that I have for people that want to film their own hunts just for fun. Uh, I have a lot of a lot of friends or a lot of people that are into hunting that want to uh, get a little bit into video or maybe already into video and are maybe not sure about different approaches or techniques or things like that. So I just kind of want to talk about some of that today, um, particularly because I'm kind of in the thick of uh, filming and hunting right now. So let's let's dive into the current situation I'm in. I moved to New Braunfels, Texas back in the spring from San Marcos, Texas. And New Braunfels is in the hill country. San Marcos is just right next door. So I didn't really make a big move. I just moved a town over. Um, I like this town a little more, like the area. It's a great family uh, environment here and um, lots and lots of great rivers. San Marcos had good rivers too, but there's even more rivers here and uh, quicker access to all kinds of things, uh, fly fishing related and kayaking and stuff that I'm really into. Um, but, but one of the interesting things is, is where our house is situated, it's on top of a hill and it's in a subdivision. And we were the last 
house to be built in this subdivision. And we also got the biggest yard, which is awesome because I can shoot my bow up to 40 yards in my backyard. And if I open the side door, I can uh, get over 60 yards, which when you live in a subdivision, that's pretty good. And I have no neighbors behind me. Um, we are in the edge of the um, of the community. And so uh, being on top of a hill, I'm kind of shooting downward a little bit and there's nothing behind me except for a 49.5 acre farm, essentially a little 50 acre farm. It's got some cows and uh, a guy that uh, retired gentleman that goes out and feeds his cows like once a day. And, and it's pretty cool because we're in this subdivision and we're just outside of the city limits. And there's this basically 50 acre track of land behind me. And being on top of a hill, we see wildlife running around this property like crazy because there is some blocks of woods. And by woods, we're talking Texas Hill Country woods. So this is, um, it's kind of brush country, really. I mean, there's no trees you could hang a tree stand in or anything like that. I mean, this is it's pretty much brush country, but but not like South Texas brush. It's There's some thorny brush in there and, and there's some like, um, oh, there's yopon and privet and stuff like that. Um, so, so there's some bushes and some small shrubby trees and stuff. Um, and it's, it's also mixed with some pastures that these, these cows reside in. And so being positioned where we are on top of the hill, we are facing like the main cattle pasture and there's these blocks of brushy woods, um, that we see and watch deer running across or they'll come out of one block of brush and they'll get in and feed or hang out in these fields and then they'll cross into the other side. Um, and we, we watch them do it all day long from our, where our back window is sitting up on top of the hill. Our living room essentially faces like our couch faces this overlook. It's really cool. And, uh, not only have we seen deer, but we've also seen bobcats and foxes and coyotes and, um, we've seen all kinds of different wildlife. So it's pretty cool to be in this like urban environment with all of that, um, right behind the house. And, I said when I first, when we first started building the house, I didn't know that there were, there was going to be like deer right there. I kind of thought it was possible because there's a lot of deer in New Braunfels, um, but I just didn't, didn't really think about it. But it wasn't until like right before the house was complete that we were checking it out one day and we saw some deer in that pasture behind the house. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. We're going to be able to see deer from the house. And I was really excited about that. And then when we first moved in, um, I, it was in the spring and we were seeing some does and fawns and that was pretty cool. And then summer comes around and next thing you know, we're starting to see bucks and velvet. And I'm like, man, there are some nice deer back there. And I always thought to myself, man, it'd be really cool if I could get access to bow hunt that property. But I had so many other things going on that I never really pursued it. And it wasn't until after Wilder was born on October 28th, we came home, um, after being in the hospital for four days and, and right after the first of November, it's like November 2nd or 3rd, something like that. I just decided I'm going to go over and ask this guy for permission to hunt his property. And what, what led me to do that was really two things. The first thing was, um, I, I felt like with, with Wilder, I knew I was going to be home a lot. I'm not going to be going on big hunting trips this year. I'm going to do some fly fishing, but not a ton. You know, I got to be home helping out with the child. Um, that was, um, kind of my thought process going into the fall. And I thought, well, you know, there's this property right behind me. Maybe if I got access to it, I, I would get to do a little bit of hunting because it's just right behind the house. I literally just literally it's our back. It's like 
our backyard touches it. <laughs> um, I'd have to drive around to get to get to the other side because we have a fence there. But, you know, it's literally right behind the house. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll go ask just because it might be the one hunting thing I can do this year. And then the second reason I decided to go over there was um, the week we got home in Wilder, I was um, sitting in the house holding him and taking care of him um, while my wife was getting cleaned up. And it, it, the, the temperature dropped dramatically during the middle of the day. We had a cold front come in like at two or three in the afternoon and uh i started seeing deer chasing in that back pasture and i saw this nice this pretty nice buck chasing a doe and i was like wow that's a nice deer and then i opened up my back door and to my right literally behind the fence of my house was this really nice buck that had obviously been in a fight a prior year only had one eye (laughs) and uh had, had his face was all cut up but he was a nice deer and he was sitting there making a scrape. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to get permission to hunt this place. So <laughs> those two things led me to want to go over and knock on the door. So I kind of thought about my approach and how I was going to do it. And what I decided to do was um, I decided the next day after I saw this activity, I was like, the next day, I'm going to, tomorrow, I'm going to go ask him. So my plan was to dress nice. I put on a nice kind of fall looking plaid long sleeve shirt and I put on my jeans and my boots and um, cleaned up and everything and I sat in the kitchen and worked on my laptop the entire day completely dressed keys in my pocket wallet in my back pocket ready to go and my thought was as soon as I see that guy go feed his cows which he does every day I don't know what time he'll do it but whenever I see him go feed his cows I'm going to run out the door, hop in my truck. I'm going to drive over to his place and I'm going to, I'm going to walk up to him while he's feeding his cows and I'm going to talk to him about hunting his property. And I want to, I want to be ready to go because I want to catch him while he's feeding his cows. I don't want to go knocking on his door. I'd rather just show up while he's doing that and chat with him. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that just seemed like the better approach to me, especially because I think part of it was if you knock on the door, you don't know who's going to answer, but I knew if he was feeding the cows, I was going to get him. And I wanted to dress nice and look nice because I want to be presentable. You know, I don't want to approach looking like a gangster or anything. I want to show up looking looking like someone that he can trust. So I sat in that kitchen for hours and hours working on my laptop, constantly peeking up and looking out the window. And uh, sure enough, that afternoon he goes to feed his cows. And I tell my wife, I'm like, there he is. I got to go. And I ran out the door, jumped in my truck, and I drove back there and uh, pulled up and waved at him. And he got out of his uh golf cart or whatever it is he was driving and he has a little dog hop out beside him and he walked up to see what I wanted and I introduced myself and pointed to my house and said you know I live right there and my house butts up to your property and uh, I just wanted to introduce myself and I and I I said I I, want to get straight to the point Um, the reason I'm here is because I my wife and I just had a child and I love to hunt and I know because we just had a baby um a few days ago that I'm probably not going to be able to go anywhere to hunt this year. Uh, however, I have seen deer at your house at your on your property and so I just wanted to come over and ask for your permission to bow on it. And I just went straight to the point and he appreciated that because I didn't beat around the bush. I wasn't I wasn't leading them on like I went there, I manned up and I told him what I wanted. And he thought about it for a second. And he said, "Well, if you're bow hunting, that's I don't see why it's going to hurt anything." And he said, "You know, um or you, do you think you'd be allowed to hunt it? And I said, I, I'd be, if you say yes, I'll, I'll call game warden and I'll clear it with the game warden. And the reason why I asked that is because, you know, we're just outside of city limits. 
So we talked for a bit. He gave me permission, told me I can go anywhere I wanted on the property so I could park, you know, park wherever. And he, he gave me complete access to the whole thing. And I got a cell phone number and everything. And I went back home and called the game warden, didn't answer, left, left a voicemail. And the next day I called the game warden again and got him to answer this time. And, uh, I knew, I knew why he didn't call me back. It was just because deer rifle season had just started, you know, so I'm sure he was super busy. But So I, I just tried to call him again the next day, and uh, he answered this time, and he had another warden in the truck with him, and they put me on speaker, and I said, look, I live in between this road and this road, and uh, my neighbor has uh, 49 and a half acres with cows on it and some, some, some uh, brushy timber, and uh, he gave me permission to bow on his property, and so I just want to I wanted to reach out and make sure that we're good to go. And they said, "Yeah, yeah, go go for it." Boom, I'm in, and I was so freaking pumped. I mean, you, you know, as, as a kid, you think about one day I want to own a piece of property that I can bow hunt and or duck hunt or whatever. You know, like that's a, a lifelong dream, and I still want that someday down the road. Um, but I'm not at that place in my life yet. You know, I'm still building my business. I'm starting my family. I'm just not in a position to buy a place like that at this time. So I lived in this subdivision. I've got a, like I said, like a really nice big backyard, got an office in the, in the house. Like, you know, we're doing well, but I, I can't afford to buy a track of land to hunt on right now with, and build a house on a hill on top of it. You know, I can't afford to do that at this place in my life. Cause I'm, you know, I'm only 30 years old. I'm grinding and I'm building my business and that's just where I am. But to have a house on top of a hill that overlooks this incredible piece of property that is sandwiched in between a bunch of subdivisions, that is one of the primary travel corridors and homes for all these white-tailed deer that live in this urban area. And for me to overlook that and now have private access to hunt it, it's the next best thing. And I was, I'm just like tickled pink, you know? And so I started planning my, my approach and I knew I probably wouldn't be able to hang a stand over there. I flew my drone over his property. I looked at aerial maps. I flew my drone over it to kind of look at the trees and stuff and, and kind of got an idea of what it would look like. This is a few weeks ago, probably four weeks ago, maybe. And, uh, kind of familiarized myself with the layout of the property. And I picked this, uh, I picked this tree that was on a funnel point and it was a, a funnel point. I saw the deer would use, they would travel. There's this like, like I said, there's this pasture behind my house and there's these two prominent blocks of brushy timber. And I knew that the deer, it's hard to call it timber when it's not really tall, but <laughs> two brushy block of woods, we'll put it that way. Um, but I, there's this, this point where they would always used to get from one side to the next, because it's one of the, especially the bucks, because it's one of the shortest paths or the shortest uh, distances to travel without leaving the brushy block of woods. And, you know, as a, as not so much the does, but, you know, mature bucks, they, especially, you know, during daylight hours, they're a little bit more cautious about where they travel and they're not going to just always want to stand in the middle of a broad open pasture. You know what I mean? So they're going to go, they're going to go across paths that are pretty easy to get from one block to the next. And so I thought this funnel point, this tip of the funnel point would be a great place to start. And so I picked a morning and told, told my neighbor I was going to come hunting the next day. And what I did is I showed up there at like 4.30 in the morning and uh, all I had with me was my bow, my camo, my backpack, a chair, and uh, some, uh, I had a handsaw, like a foldable hunting handsaw, and I had some uh, pruners. And I went up to this funnel point in the dark with my headlamp, and there was uh, this tree at the funnel tip of the funnel point 
that was a real brushy tree. And uh, there was a bunch of what I call muster weed and all over the place. And I pulled the muster weed up and I built a brush blind around this shrubby tree. And uh, I didn't like cut up anything or anything because I, you know, I don't want to tear up his property or anything. But I took a bunch of natural branches and stuff and I built this brush blind, put my chair in it, and I sat in the brush blind and waited for daylight. And daylight comes around before, right before legal shooting time is just starting to get daylight. And I can already see deer in the pasture. There's a, there's this uh, small forked horn buck and he's locked down with a doe. I mean, he was chasing her all around the pasture and he literally laid down in the pasture and just watched her, you know, and um, that was right before daylight. And then it um, started to get a little, little brighter out, starts to get legal shooting time. And next thing you know, there's, I've got sets of does everywhere. And I had deer come within 15 yards of my brush blind my very first morning and I had multiple bucks. None of them were shooters, um, but I've seen shooters from the house. I knew there were shooters out there. So I thought, you know, if I keep hunting, it's just a matter of time. So my first day was awesome. I don't, I don't know exactly how many deer I saw, but it was close to 10. And um, I had, I had probably six or seven within bow range of this brush blind, which is great. You know, hunting on the ground is tough sometimes. And uh, the fact that I was able to get that close to so many deer my first day out there um was was awesome so i i told my wife i said i want to go back tomorrow if that's cool with you she said yeah no big deal so i went back the next day and i was only hunting mornings because i see most of the activity over there either being during the mornings or right around lunch so i'm hunting from basically sunrise to noon every day so i went over the second morning and uh and i i, I sat in that brush blind and next thing you know um, right before Day, like, like, I don't know, three minutes before legal shooting time, this buck comes running and grunting to my left. And I kind of look over at the corner of my eyes and there's just this really big body buck, like five or six yards from me on the ground. And it was like at that point where you could probably get away with shooting it because it was like right at legal shooting line. Um, but it was hard for me to, it was just dark enough where like I could have squeezed a shot, but I couldn't quite tell how big the deer was. And we have a 13 inch rule in this County. So I kind of waited until he was quartered away to where I could safely put my binoculars on him. I mean, he was only like five or six yards away, but I still, it was dark enough where I could see his body, but I just couldn't quite make out his antlers, pulled up my binos and took a look and oh my God, this thing was a monster. <laughs> so I set my binos down and I pick up my bow and he's walking away from me, quartering away. And like as soon as I got my bow ready, I, I couldn't draw back. It was too late. He'd already kind of gone into the brush, but he never he never saw me. And I was like, dang, that was a really big deer, you know. And that was right at shoot, you know legal shooting light. And then um, next thing you know, like I had uh, some other does on the ground, and and about an hour later, there was a um, a small basket rack eight that came out to my right, and he was looking at one or two different does that were feeding in front of me. I don't know what they're feeding on, uh, but something in the field. And uh, anyway, that buck came back and he ran out. He ran off that basket rack eight. And he was a monster, man. And he stopped and he turned and he looked my direction at 10 yards. Same buck from earlier in the morning. And he was an absolute stud. I mean, he's a 100, 145 inch, you know, awesome mainframe 10 point, just a beautiful deer. He has some just incredible brow tines that uh, were really unique. And I, I was just like, man, I want to shoot this deer, but I couldn't, I couldn't draw on him because he was looking right toward my brush blind. I don't know that he was looking at me necessarily, but he was just looking that direction. And, uh, and then he turned and he walked off and I, tr I grunted at him and tried to get him to come back. And, and I was not able to, but I thought to myself, 
in that moment, I said, my God, I got to get a camera out here because there's just too much going on, <laughs> too much going on. And, uh, and, and about an hour later, I had another buck come by. He was a shooter. Um, I ended up not getting him, but he wasn't quite, he wasn't as big, but he was another nice shooter. And, uh, it's just, I mean, there's just so much going on. I'm seeing so many deer and uh, I hunted again a few days later and saw an even bigger buck. This one was like 150 incher and I've got trail camera pictures of him now. He's like 150 inch. I've counted at least 12 points, but I think he could be, he could have 14 points and he's a, he's, he's 100% 150 inch deer. I mean, he's right behind my house guys. I mean, in an urban environment, I mean, it's nuts. And, uh, these trail camera pictures, the, the hard part is, is I can see the right, I can see his right side really well. I can't see his left side quite as well, but just from what I can see, I can count, I can count 12 points, which is just remarkable. He's got a lot of mass and a lot of width. And I saw that deer my third day out. And then I saw him again on my fourth day out. Um, but neither time was I able to, to get a, get a shot on him. But the point is there's just so much going on in this property. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, I got 140, 150 inch deer running around here. And I'm seeing them almost every time I go out. I've got to, I've got to get a camera out here. Like, this is just some incredible stuff. And I'm like telling my buddies about it. And I'm sure they're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. 140, 150 inch deer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, you know how that goes. You know, you, you tell your buddies about these deer you're seeing and sometimes they don't believe you. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get pictures of these deer. Like I gotta, I gotta like get proof. <laughs> so I went and bought some cell cameras and I put them out and uh, to try to get some pictures, which I fortunately was finally able to get some some cell cam pictures of the 150 incher. Um, but I also wanted to get some footage while hunting, and and that's kind of what leads in today's podcast. And here's the thing about filming hunts and, and me is uh, when I first got into video, um, I was filming my hunts. That's actually how I very first got started. I was filming myself bow hunting for deer and bow hunting for pigs, and I got some self self film kills on camera, and I did that for several years. Um, but I kind of gave it up when I started, uh, filming professionally for a living because I work with video all day, every day. I mean, that's what I do for a living and I love it. I love video. I love photography. I love the business side of it. I love editing. I like all of that. Um, but it's my job, you know, and as much as I love it, when I go hunting or fishing, I don't really want to think about it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want that to be. I don't want that to be something that's a burden because I'm already doing it every day and hunting and fishing is kind of my escape from it. It's like my chance to go out and do something different, uh, you know, go out and pursue a, a different passion. And I don't, I know that if I, if I drag all my camera equipment with me every time I go hunting or fishing and I try to make these super high end videos, which is what I would want to do because I know me, um, it would almost become a, it would become a burden and I would dread it. And I don't want that. You know, I want to enjoy hunting and fishing because that's, that's my time away from work. That's my time to go out and, and chase two other passions I had. And I've had these passions, fly fishing and, and, uh, deer hunting, uh, or hunting in general, deer hunting, waterfowl, big game, anything. I, those have been passions of mine long before filming ever became a thing. And so I, I try to walk a fine line there and I, I kind of want to separate them so that I'm not, I'm not, taking away from my hunting and fishing experiences. So really the only time I really have brought a camera over the last three, four, five years when I hunt or fish is just a photo camera. Um, like right now I'm bringing my, uh, Ace, my Sony a one with, a uh, Tamron 35 to 150 F2 to 2.8 lens, which is a great all, all around lens. And I, I bring those two with me in my hunting bag just to shoot pictures. Um, and 
that's like to the extent of what I've been doing, you know? Um, but the reality is, is that there are times like at this property where I do kind of wish I had some footage of what was happening because it's pretty cool, you know? And it's not that I plan to make a professional video or anything like that. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go to that trouble. I'm not trying to make a short film of what I'm doing over behind the house. I probably could, I know I could do something really unique about, you know, getting this property and how I went about it and the deer that are there and that kind of thing. But guys, I just don't want to do that. I, I'm just being honest. You asked me this 10 years ago, I would have said yes, but that was when I was first getting in, you know, first, you know, 10 years ago was when I was first becoming a, a full-time professional in this field. And, and at that time I was chomping at the bits to do a story like that. But now it's just like, man, I, I just don't know that I want to go through that effort because <laughs> I'm working on video every day for my job, you know? So, so what am I going to do? If I want to get footage of this, how am I going to get footage of this without making it a burden? How am I going to get footage of this? That's easy. And, and what am I going to do with that footage? Well, I'll answer the second question first. What I'm going to do with this footage is I'm just going to literally post it online or share it with my friends. That's literally it. Like if I, if I happen to get, let's just say this 150 inch deer steps in front of me and I'm able to get a shot at him. And one of my new brush blinds that I'm hunting is like a, it's like a 10, 10 to 25 yard shots, but five to 20, five to 20 yard shots would be about the max five to 20 yard shots of this, this brush blind, the second brush blind I'm in, and it's going to happen fast, you know? And so if, if it happens, it's going to, it's going to be close. And so my thought is, you know, if I get, if I get it on camera, all I'm going to do with it is just share that experience online and share it with my friends. Literally, that's it. I'm not going to make a film out of it. I'm not going to anything like that. I just want the footage for me to remember what happened and how it went down and to be able to tell my buddies and show them that I'm not making this whole thing up, you know, <laughs> and that there really are 150 inch deer by miles. And so like, that's the extent of it. And that may not be the extent of it for you, but some of what I'm going to talk about, I think can apply to you no matter whether you're trying to make a, you know, something like I am like a quick clip to throw online or whether you are trying to make a short film. Some of these things I think apply to everyone. And that is uh, keep it, keep it simple. Keep it simple, man. If you're going to be filming your hunt, keep it simple. I, I have a good friend of mine. I'm sure he probably won't mention it. Mind me mentioning this on the podcast. If he's listening, you know who you are. Um, but I have a really good friend of mine we talk hunting, fishing, filming stuff all the time, business, um, talk every week. But this friend of mine, he's been trying so hard to film his hunts. And over the years, he's gotten less and less and less with it. You know, he went from wanting to make all these short films and he bought all this, you know, mirrorless gear and, and wireless mics and shotgun mics and stuff to, um, next thing you know, he just wanted to try to get some footage that was it. He wasn't going to try to make a short film anymore. He ditched the wireless mics. He just wanted to get kills on camera. That was it. And then now he recently messaged me up and he said, man, I'm not even taking a camera with me anymore. And the reason is, is he felt like it was starting to take away from his experience of hunting and that he was like having to do all this stuff and it was becoming a little bit burdensome and clunky. He was having to carry all this stuff and it was really kind of taking away from his overall goal of just trying to hunt and kill a mature deer. And I totally get that because in a lot of ways, that's what happened to me. You know, I went from, you know, doing this for fun and making short films and stuff to getting a job professionally. And I kind of work my way out of filming anything I do. Um, so I, I totally understand where he's coming from. And so to prevent yourself from getting to that point, my best advice for self filming is to keep it really simple. And by keeping it simple, I mean, don't feel like you have to make a blockbuster movie every single time you go out and hunt and 
and, and sell film because if you do, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to quit. You're going to eventually quit doing it because it's just going to be too much, too much to keep up with, too much to deal with. So how do you do that? Like, how do you keep it simple? My advice is to buy the right tool for the job. Um, I had my friend Corey Bauman on a podcast with me a couple of years ago. Corey does some self-filming for fun, but he's kind of like me. He's at a point where if he's going to do it, it's just going to be to get some clips and that's it. And Corey and I talked about, about, you know, what that looks like. And really, I think for me, what that looks like is buying a camera that's easy to use, that, um, that has like a good zoom range that has, if you're worried about audio that has good audio inputs and stuff, things that just make, make your life easy. And I see these guys dragging out cages and a seven S threes. And, uh, you know, they got cages with top handles on it and they've got, you know, K2M audio devices with a shotgun mic and a wireless mic and, and they've got multiple lenses and stuff and they're bringing all this in a tree arm and everything else to the field. And my God, dude, if you did that to self film every time you go out, I mean, you're going to get burned out. You're going to hate it at some point, you know, but imagine if, if you're just trying to, if you're just trying to make something memorable and you're trying to capture your hunts and, and make, you know, make something out of it, even if you are wanting to do a story, you don't have to, to shoot your project on an area Alexa mini to do a story. You know, there are a lot of great documentary projects out there that are on national television that are shot. I'm talking like award-winning documentaries that are shot off of video cameras, traditional ENG style servo zoom video cameras. There's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, if you're just trying to tell a story, just tell a story. You know, you don't, doesn't matter if you're using your cell phone or if you're using a red, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to capture content and tell a story. And the best way to capture content when you're self-filming is to not make your life harder than it needs to be. And so my, my advice personally, and, and you may differ because maybe you are trying to have the best looking footage in the planet and that's fine. But I can tell you right now that most people that put that as their number one priority are going to get burned out. So if you don't want to get burned out, my advice is to get something like, uh, like a Sony, uh, uh, video camera that's got a, a built-in servo zoom and something that's got like a, um, you know, some, some audio inputs and some ND all built into the camera. And yeah, it may not sound as sexy as, as, um, you know, a mirrorless camera with interchangeable lenses, but at the end of the day, it's going to make it easy to film. And I think the easier you can make this on yourself, the better it's going to be. And so for instance, if you looked at like a Sony NX80, I think that's a great camera to look at. Uh, you know, it's affordable, relatively speaking, and it's got proper audio inputs. It's got proper ND filters. It's got a flip out rotatable screen. It's got autofocus, nice long servo zoom, and it's relatively small and compact. You know, you could throw that in your backpack and you could film anything. You could turn it around and hold it in front of you while you're walking out to the stand and vlog style. You could put it up in a tripod inside of a brush blind like I'm in or a ground blind and you could film it that way. You could throw it on a tree arm and it could literally be the only camera you take with you, you know, and, and that would keep it really simple. And if you want to take some photos, take the photos off your phone. You know, I understand the, the desire to go all out, but again, like keep it simple and you'll keep from burning out and you'll enjoy self-filming more. So I think that a camera like that is a great, great place to start. Now, if that's a little more money than you want to spend for just self-filming for fun, 
then you could look at you know a Sony Handycam or or a comparable camera by Canon that you know are more affordable. Um, but if you want to do something kind of nicer with proper audio, then I think like the NX80 is a great place to start. Um, I think that's a I think that's just a solid platform. And I'll tell you, you want to know what I'm self filming on? Like think about this. I have I don't even know how much money I have in equipment at my house anymore. Like at my or at my office, I have I have so much equipment. I mean, I'm flying the Mavic Three Cine version. I've got you know, I've got FX6s and A7S3s and A1s and lenses out my ears and lights and all kinds of audio equipment and gimbals and tripods and all this stuff. But you want to know what I'm filming my hunts off of right now on this property, what I've decided to film off of? A GoPro Hero 10 Black with, with a um, with the housing that has the mic, um, mic port and the, the, the housing module. And then I'm running a Rode Wireless Go mic into it. That's my whole filming setup, literally. I shoot video for a living. I've got more more money tied up in video equipment than I know what to do with, but yet I'm self-filming off of a GoPro Hero 10 Black with the you know the little module on it, and uh, I, I I simply have a, a, a you know like I said a Rode Wireless Go hooked in the hot shoe on the module plugged right into the back of the GoPro. That's it. That's all I'm, that's all I'm using. It's a cheap, simple setup and I've got the remote strapped to my arm and it's just a one button deal. Well, really two buttons. So I, I, you know, usually my camera falls asleep. So I press the record button on the remote. It wakes the camera button and I press it again and it starts recording, but that's it. I leave the, I leave it on the whole time. Just let it go to sleep. The battery life, the GoPro Hero 10 Black is pretty good. I can hunt a whole morning and it will go to sleep on me and, and I'll only wake it up when I want to film something, but I can, I can usually get through an entire morning on one battery. You know, if I want to change batteries, it's just one extra battery, you know, and, uh, I leave my wireless go on the whole time. It'll last an entire morning or afternoon hunt. You can, you know, if you want to hunt the morning and the afternoon, you can just charge your wireless go at the house for two hours, you know, and it's fully charged again. And you can pop in another GoPro battery and be ready to go for the afternoon. So you can make it all day pretty easily off that combo. It's affordable. It's cheap. And I, I use screw in mounts. If I'm in a brush blind that like these brush blinds I'm hunting, I can screw a screw in mount into like a piece of yo, like a Yopon branch or something, um, on this little tiny little pocket tree thing, tree mount I have for GoPros that I've had since I was in college. <laughs> um, or if I'm in a tree stand, um, hunting a different piece of property, I'll do the same thing. I'll screw that little pocket arm thing that I have. I don't even know if they make it anymore, but I'll screw it into the tree and put the GoPro on that. But that's my whole, that's my whole setup. I mean, it's literally my setup. Just a GoPro with a Rode wireless mo- Go mic, wireless lav mic, and that's it. And I do have the the lav for the wireless Go, just because I like lavs. I'm not, I don't, I don't. I think the Rode wireless mo like taking the Go itself and like clamp clamping it to your shirt and, and using it without a lav is kind of stupid. So I I I, you know, I bought the lav for it, but I mean that's my whole setup. And I like I even have guys. I have Sony. UWP series wireless mic systems with dual wireless receivers and Sankin COS 11D wireless lavs that are like super high end lav mics, like the lavs itself. But I'm not, I'm not taking any of that. I'm taking this cheap Rode wireless go because it's small, portable, clips into the GoPro super easy. I mean, that's my setup because I want to keep it simple and I could throw it in my backpack and I can hike in on public land if I want, or I can put it in a Yopon bush brush blind that I, you know, like 
that I'm hunting out of right now, it, I can take it with me anywhere and I can just get footage. I, I put it behind me, behind my back, over my shoulder so that I can get on and I shoot it with a wide field of view so that I can see anything that, that I see with my eyes pretty much out of this blind, the GoPro is going to see and it's going to get it from above over my shoulder. And that way, if I, you know, have a deer in front of me and I draw back on them, you're going to see me drawing on, drawn back. And, and I'm not doing like, and none of my brush blinds am I taking a shot beyond 40 yards. And most of the time it's going to be anywhere from like 10 to 20. And so you're going to see the deer and me drawing on the deer all in the same frame. And with the road wireless go, um, I'm, I'm capturing, you know, wireless audio, um, so that I, you can get like my, my in, in moment dialogue and my reaction and that's that. And so my plan is, you know, if I have a cool, cool, really cool encounter, I'll just take that clip of that encounter with the wireless audio and I'll take that clip and I'll throw it on my computer when I get home and, uh, the road wireless goes audio will already be mixed to the GoPro. It's already done. So all I have to do is go home, toss, you know, pull out the GoPro memory card, plug it in the computer, toss it in premiere, clean up the audio, color the footage and, uh, and then export it just that clip. And I can show that encounter to my friends or toss it online or I can, uh, you know, if I do get a kill, on camera. If I, let's say I shoot the 150 inch deer, I'm going to have it on camera on the GoPro. And yeah, it's not going to be zoomed in. I'm not using my FX six or my a one and a hundred, 100, 400 millimeter lens or 7200 I'm not using any of that, but it, but it doesn't matter because it's easy and it's simple and I'm willing to do it because it's not a pain in the butt and I'm not making my hunting more complicated than it needs to be. I'm there to hunt. That's what I'm doing. I'm there to hunt. And I'm just going to get some, I'm just going to get the shot on camera and it's going to be cool. And you're going to have my reaction and everything because I have a wireless lapel on and it's great. And I only have to press one, one button twice, just the button on the remote. That's it. Just press it to wake up the camera, press it again to hit record and, and it's going. And that's all. I don't have to think about anything. I'm not trying to pan my camera into position or anything like that. And I know some people that listen to this podcast probably think, wow, I'm surprised that this is what Josh is doing. You know, he's, he's got a podcast about filming, you know, he runs a video production company, all this stuff. And man, he's just filming his hunt on the GoPro. But yeah, but that's the reason is because I, I want to enjoy myself and I don't want to get burned out. And so my advice is, is to, to, to have that approach and you don't have to use a GoPro as your only camera, or if you do use a GoPro, it might be a B camera for you. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I used to do that, but, um, but if you're going to film with something, you know, bigger than a GoPro, don't feel like you have to cage up an A7S III and run interchangeable lenses. At the end of the day, do you think people really care? Like, honestly, do you think people really care? Do you think they're going to, if you're, if you shoot a 140 inch deer or 150, 160 inch deer with your bow, you know, you might have pretty image quality and you might get some comments on that. But honestly, what people are really watching, if you're sharing it with friends and family, what people are really watching is you shooting that deer and your experience and your reaction. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you shot it off of a phone or if you shot it off a of red, it doesn't matter. So if you want to capture your hunt on camera, don't feel like you have to go all out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars. The NX80 I, I mentioned is a, a couple thousand dollars, a little over a couple thousand dollars. But I mean, when you don't have to drop $3,000, $3,500 in A7S III and, you know, and six thousand dollars and some lenses to go with it you don't have to do that you can buy the nx80 and a gopro and have a ball and go out and have an a camp b camp setup that's simple to run and just get your hunt on camera off of two you know two different angles and cut it together and you know you could do a whole story on that and it'll look great 
So just keep it simple. Like that's my big advice for self-filming is keep it simple, man. It's the best way to enjoy your experience. And to be honest, you're going to capture more on camera if it's simple, because if it's complicated, you're not going to want to pull it out of your bag. You're going to have days where you're like, ah, I'm going to leave this at the house. And also in the tree, you know, if it's a complicated mess, you're going to, you're sitting there, you're trying to hunt and you're trying to film. It's hard to deal with all that at the same time. And you're going to end up getting more on camera if it's simple. If you have a servo zoom on a small little tree arm and you can zoom in real quick on a deer, you're a lot more likely to get footage that way than you are jacking around with an interchangeable lens mirrorless camera. I mean, it's the truth. Now, are people out there self-filming a mirrorless? Yeah, I've done it. You can certainly do it. I've done it and I got some great footage, but I don't do it again. I don't do it anymore because it, it, it just got annoying. So keep it simple, guys. Don't carry 80 pounds of camera gear with the stand with you to the stand just to self-film. You know, unless you're trying to win some kind of a film festival. But even then, the story is keen at the end of the day. And content is so much more important than, than the camera you shot it on. I mean, if you have a great story and you have a great hunt on camera, I mean, that, that's what matters the most. So even then, even if you are wanting to enter film festivals and you're self-filming, just just get good content. Keep it simple. Get good content. You know, it doesn't matter if it's shot on a handy cam or not. Some other advice I have for self filming is, you know, get it, if you're if you're filming out of a whether it's like waterfowl or deer or something like that, and you're filming on uh, on the ground, definitely you're going to want a small packable tripod. You know, if you're going to film with a big, you know, with a little bit bigger camera, like a handy cam or NX80 type camera, you'll want a little bit of a fluid head. You don't have to have a, a Sockler tripod for professional use like I have. I'm not going to, I would never carry my Sockler to a blind with me, <laughs> not, not for self-filming, but get you, get you a small little tripod with a little fluid head. I mean, again, this is just your self-filming. So keep it simple. If you're going to be in a tree, you definitely want some kind of small tree arm. Um, I do think you should have a wireless mic. Um, you don't have to drop a ton of money. The Rode Wireless Go, I got mine off of eBay brand new for like 120 bucks plus shipping, 130 bucks plus shipping. It's a nice little mic. It's a, you know, it's not, is it, is it my Sony systems running the Sankin Lobs? No, it's not Sankin Lobs. The Sankin Lobs, just the lav itself for my, 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 my Sony systems would be worth like three Rode Wireless Goes. <laughs> but it's good enough, right? It's good enough. It's a chargeable little mic that takes up no space in your backpack, you know, I, I, I recommend it. Get yourself a small road wireless go and, and, and run a wireless lapel so you can get your reaction and your audio and your whispers and everything. Run that, plug it into your camera, you know, your GoPro or your, your, your big video camera, whatever, and, and have a wireless mic. I, I think that's a, a good approach. Um, always bring with you an extra battery and some, and an extra memory card. Cause you never know when you're going to have a problem in the field. And uh, don't carry more than you need. Don't bring gimbals and drones and sliders and all that with you to the field if you're just self-filming. You don't need all that. Just get just capture your hunt on camera. You know, if you want to go back and create B-roll and stuff after the hunt's over, then that's different. But but keep it simple. You know, I carry. I'm only carrying with me to the field that little screw-in arm, the GoPro with the wireless Go setup. And, uh, and I have my a one with a, with a 35 to 150 lens and it's in the bottom of my backpack. And I only have that big camera with the big lens just for photographs. If I am like, if let's say I do shoot 150 inch deer, um, you know, I want to be able to take a pic pictures of it. So I have that with a little mini tabletop tripod in my backpack and that's it. That's just for photography, but filming wise, just the GoPro and the tree arm. That's it. So keep it simple guys. Don't overdo it. 
You don't have to create a Hollywood film every time you go out. Don't burn yourself out. Make it simple. You know, and so right now where I am on this property is I've hunted a handful of times and I've had some close encounters with some different bucks. The 150 incher is the one I want the most. Like I said, he's got at least 12 score scoreable points that I was able to make out from these trail camera photos. And he's a big deer. And uh, I've, I've cut myself a hole in a yopon bush and packed some brush in front of it. And I'm hunting this travel corridor that I've seen him go down from my house, from my living room several times. And I have got trail camera pictures of him going down it. So I'm hoping that uh, here over the next couple of weeks, me and him will have a face-to-face encounter. I want us to cross paths. And I think the only way it's going to happen is I just have to get out there and spend time in, in the, in the brush blind. But I think eventually, I think eventually it's, you know, it's a pretty good chance that I'm going to run into him. Doesn't mean it will happen, but I think I've got a shot. And I think 150 inch hill, hill country deer, it's a heck of a hill country deer. And I sure hope I get him. And if I do, I hope I have it filmed on my GoPro and I'll drop that clip online for you guys. Anyway, I hope you listen, uh, enjoyed listening to today's podcast. It, wasn't supposed to be anything crazy or anything super high end. I just wanted you to encourage you guys to, you know, keep it simple get a small video camera, a small wireless mic, maybe even just a GoPro, you know, don't overdo it, pack light and, and have fun. Cause at the end of the day, self-filming is all about you having fun and, and capturing your, your passions on camera. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please uh, subscribe it. And I would uh, subscribe to the channel and I'd love to get, um, some ratings from you guys, some reviews. So uh, leave me a review. Let me know what you think, good or bad. Um, And then be sure, like I said earlier, hop on the Filming with Josh Facebook group and ask to join the group. I look forward to seeing you guys there. I'll see you guys next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.